Sutra 34 The Seventh Bhumi The Maha Cities When you begin to ascend, there's no way you can stop. This symbolizes the victory of new beliefs over the old ones, and so whatever no longer serves you is what you must give up. Wherever I was, and whoever you may think of me to be, I was simply loving awareness floating through space and time, somewhere between infinity. In the middle of Kailash's ancient mountain, I realized this secret pyramid was an embodiment of spiritual perfection. It's hard to use words and describe it, but rather questions are the best guides when examining introspection. What is the purpose of life when everything must die? What is death? when the spirit of our soul passes throughout all of our lives? What if pain and suffering is just wisdom hiding behind difficult lessons? And what if every challenge is an opportunity to use wisdom and transform curses into blessings? I floated away from the flame, but like smoke I was still here. My soul was like the vapor of fine incense, as I was one within the wind, as my life had held a certain set of attributes like a unique flavor. Now this flavor made me curious, because who was I really? Every time I tried to get a glimpse, I realized any idea of me couldn't contain that which was free. I learned to let go of my past lives, even if I could think about who I once was, because at the core principle of all creation, Every spiritual soul was the embodiment of divine grace and love. Everyone is ancient because everyone is finding the way. No matter what past life you may claim to have lived, we are all called to be here and now, not stuck on those ancient days. By Samyama upon the seventh Bhumi, I rose and went beyond far gone. The reason for this is that of the conventional boomies, this was the last conventional one. On the journey into the seventh boomie, we had to destroy the twenty great mountains of ego, one after the other. The spirit began to release my ego as I let go. The twenty mountains of ego refer to the five components or backbone of ego, interpreted in four different ways, as the self, as the possession of the self, as within the self, and as the environment for the self, thus totaling twenty aspects together. These could also be referred to as the twenty elements of the confused world, and these twenty are 1. Grasping at self 2. Grasping at others 3. Grasping at one's life force 4. Grasping at people's active agents. 5. Grasping at the impermanence of sentient beings. 6. Grasping at the permanence of sentient beings. 7. Grasping at duality. 8. Grasping at various causes. 9. Grasping at the five skandhas, which are the heaps or collections of matter, sensations, perceptions, formations, and consciousness. 
10. Grasping at the Datus, which are the aspects of the body. 11. Grasping at the Ayatanas, or the fields of cognition. 12. Grasping at the three worlds. 13. Grasping at the Kleshas or poisons. 14. Discouragement with the path of Dharma. 15. Grasping at the Buddha, teacher or deity, and the attainment of heaven or nirvana. 16. Grasping at the Dharma. 17. Grasping at the Sangha or community. 18. Clinging to morality and ethics. 19. Dissension with emptiness. And 20. Grasping at the conventional and emptiness as contradictory. By Samyama upon this, I appeared right here, yes here and now, nowhere to go, yet on the way somehow, here through contemplative creation, and by Samyama upon creation, there was sight of spiritual construction into the sevenfold woman or man. The realization of the seven planes of existence come through the elements of our nature upon the earth. Each of the substances of the seven planes were organized according to the laws of its own plane and could be referred to as a body, but the expression was a state of consciousness to convey a more exact impression. Looking down from above, from a quantum view, the seventh plane, also known as the upper spiritual, the plane of pure spirit, is the first phase of manifestation. It draws its substance and energy from the unmanifest. And so, if a meditation teacher were to claim that in meditation we aim to find a perfectly still mind, whether this is possible for humans or not, we are looking for union with this space of no thought or emptiness that we seek. This could be thought of as clear mind or shunyata, where in Buddhist philosophy, this is the voidness that constitutes the ultimate reality, which could be thought of as God. Shunyata is seen not as a negation of existence, but rather as the undifferentiation out of which all entities, distinctions, and dualities arise. Imagine pure awareness here. Upon this plane, all are one, and one is all. It has but two characteristics. The first is absolute harmony, and the second is a tendency towards combination among its particles. The sixth plane, or lower spiritual plane, the unmanifest, begins to manifest into various rays of color or light to be seen. The prime characteristic on this plane is tendency, or a certain type of behavior, like a hue, attribute, or flavor. The fifth plane is the upper mental, or plane of the abstract mind, seen as the development of qualities. The fourth plane is the lower mental, and is characterized by finiteness, which, while it limits, gives a definiteness which is lacking up on the higher planes. It is the plane of concrete thought and characterized by memory. The third plane is the upper astral, it is the plane of emotions and characterized by response to attraction and the desire for union. 
The second plane, or lower astral plane and psychic plane, is the plane of instincts and passions and is characterized by the desire to attract or possess. The first plane, or physical plane, is the material world. This is where we are born into bodies of flesh and blood. This explanation or expression looks like a soul coming into form from the top down. A soul finding individuality and personality through the seven planes. As the spark of pure spirit is on the seventh plane, the concentrated spiritual nature is on the sixth, and the abstract mind of the fifth plane comprises our individuality. The four lower bodies, the mentality, emotional nature, passional nature, and the physical body are the lower planes where the individuality employs a vehicle, and this composes the personality. Personality is built up in order to enable the individuality, which is formless, to acquire experiences in the world of form, and it is discarded as it wears out as its usefulness diminishes. Thus, our individuality undergoes an evolution through our experiences in life, whereas many personalities merely develop based on our function, age, relationships, and death. But as personality is built up by an individuality which has progress, it is of a more evolved type than it previously was. The individuality is said to be the unit of evolution, and the personality is the unit of incarnation. Now, when it comes to a person's destiny, it is held to represent the sum total of the causes he or she has set going in the past lives, which determines the conditions of the present, but fresh causes are constantly being introduced by the modifying action of the will. Their fate is not the inevitability that thought may conceive it to be, but is a condition rather than a determining influence. True, some causes from the past may be so strong that we must work these causes out till their force is spent, but by their will, a man or woman may determine the reaction he or she will make to them, whether he or she will be crushed or purified, exalted by the opportunities well used, or degraded by its abuse. This realization reveals that although a man or woman has to work out his or her life problems in the condition in which he or she finds himself or herself in any given life, he and she does not quite have free will. Yet, he and she can also determine the causes that shall go forward into his or her future so that he or she can make himself or herself whatsoever he or she desires. Personality is the way we express our individuality, and our individuality is due to a long track of karmic conditions that we have put our soul through since the very beginning. Personality seems to grow or shift with experiences, and individuality seems to grow or shift through the repetition of life and death. And so, as I assumed the posture of death, I asked life, why does everyone love you, but seem to hate me? And so life replied, because I'm a beautiful illusion, and you're a painful truth that sets the soul free.
Yes, I agree. Well, you see, death is a big reset, a lot like the outbreath. Not wrong or right. It is something that happens to all of us, yet none of us view it as a delight. But once we get to the other side, once we're beyond far gone, the individuality of who you really are begins to ascend while the personality gets withdrawn. So we must let go while the individuality remembers who we really are. We are spiritual potential, born of cosmic dust from distant stars. So why do we engage in war? What for? Why the abuse and killing? Let death come to us in old age, as it will then solve everything that burdens the living. Oh, it's all a big grow, after we're forced to let go. So next time you light incense, or next time you see a bit of smoke or mist, just remember, that's you on a quantum level. And it's so silly that we forget how we truly exist. Up and away, I let go of everything without delay. So much grasping in life. So often was I caught up with tasks hiding behind masks of my personality. But up here, there was no fear. Free like the wind, I had countless limbs. Wherever I seemed to focus is wherever I would go. And now I realized the thing I call the body was holding me back. And death is our biggest opportunity for the soul to grow. Ah, so. Now we know. Upon contemplation on the seventh boomy, the pure spirit began to rise up in something like a dream. Here is the discovery of the paramita that is called skillful means. The transcendental virtue of skillful means has two aspects, knowing your own skill and knowing how to use your skill to work with sentient beings. You need to know what other people need and you need to know your own strengths and weaknesses. It's like knowing how much medicine to take yourself, and how big a dosage to give others. With skillful means, you do not get carried away. You know that you have enormous resources, and that you can use your own effort, energy, and inspiration to help other people and yourself. But you do not use everything at once. You are very economical and careful. It is quite clearly stated in the scriptures, particularly by Nagarjuna, that in the end, the ego is not acceptable. Up to a certain point, we might make the ego workable. We might work with it, tease it, and play with it. But in the end, ego has a philosophy that is unacceptable to the enlightened mind. So you have to attack it and kill it. That seems to be the heroic approach of the way to awakening. There is definitely the notion of warfare and destruction. It is not particularly passive, but more like launching an attack. In this attack, Prajna is used as a sword, and skillful means is the soldier. Now if only we could find that sword, where would that sword be? The higher the spirit ascends, the more we began to see. All the way up, there we reach the 28th floor and far below was the 13 rods that pinned shut the brass door. Up here, we realized this was the 28th mansion of the moon. Now we could feel it. This was the level with a very secret boon. A boon is a treasure, 
and this one happened to be rare and great. Except we could not see it or feel it, because there was a golden set of doors that blocked off this gate. Now as I approached this new room, which was thought of as the highest ceiling to the greatest spiritual cathedral, we found the faces of every single being who walked upon the awakened path, and there we found the individuality of the universe's greatest people. Who were they? There were so many of them that it would take forever to look. These were the bravest souls who walked along the path to righteousness that were devoted, pure, and truly good. And so if we could ever build a temple, a church, or a great steeple, then this is what the ceiling would look like. We would remember the faces of the most sincere, pure, and compassionate people. These were my teachers, and they were your teachers too. Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, Changomacho, Buddha, Saints, Apostles, Saraswati, Kali, Shiva, and Vishnu. Call them by whatever name you want, but we could see the greatness behind each form. They assumed all sorts of faces and personalities, but up here, we remember we are of one spirit that continues to transform. Then came a discovery that we all have what it takes. There is nobody on the planet, neither those whom we see as oppressed, nor those who we see as the oppressor who doesn't have what it takes to awaken. We all need support and encouragement to be aware of what we think, what we say, and what we do. Notice your opinions. If you find yourself becoming aggressive above your opinions, notice that. If you find yourself becoming non-aggressive, notice that. Cultivating a mind that does not grasp at right and wrong, you will find a fresh state of being. The ultimate cessation of suffering comes from that. And then she appeared. She was the great and humble seer. Had she been watching all along? Or had she always been here? She was no longer the nine-year-old named Sri Bala, but she was still the only one in my focus. O Pema, you are the universal lotus. What are you doing here? Riding the waves of life and death. This is the dimension of action. In a world of pain and grief, these awakened ones are still able to smile with compassion and fearlessness because they are able to see the non-duality of afflictions and awakening and touch the reality of true freedom. Look at these faces around us. Because they are free from fear, they were able to help so many people. Non-fear is the greatest gift we can offer to those we love. Nothing is more precious. But we cannot offer this gift unless we ourselves have it. If we have practiced and touched the ultimate dimension of reality, we too can smile like the awakened ones. Like all of them, we don't need to run away from our afflictions. We don't need to go somewhere else to attain enlightenment. We can see that the afflictions and enlightenment are one. To free ourselves from all fear, we must touch the ground of our being and train ourselves to look directly into the light of compassion. Once we have seen that our afflictions are no different than enlightenment, we can ride the waves of life and death," said Pema. I would like to ride that wave too. Then let me show you, she said. Her face was his, 
and his was hers. Up here, we could hear all the secret wisdom that had never been heard. It came from him, and it was revealed through her. It was woven down through heaven, through the mountain called Kailash, and into the earth. It is time to learn about the Maha cities. These are the greatest powers a human being can attain. When you are ready, regain hold of Windhorse's ultimate reigns, said Pema. There I gazed upon the powers, and to see them there need not be words. And so her voice translated the ultimate vision or miraculous powers that could not be heard. By some yama on the gross and subtle elements, and on their essential nature, correlations, and purpose, mastery over them is gained. From that comes attainment of anima and the other cities, bodily perfection and the non-obstruction of bodily functions by the influence of the elements. There are many cities, and like anything, there are different flavors or styles. These eight great perfections do not appear to those who seek them, but rather these superpowers claim you if the spirit decides your effort has been sincere and worthwhile. First, anima, the power to become infinitely small or to reduce one's body to the size of an atom. Second, manima, the power to become infinitely large or to increase one's size. Third, lagima, the power to become extremely light as if weightless and lighter than air. Fourth, garima, the power to become extremely heavy or dense. Fifth, prapti, the power to reach anywhere. Sixth, prakamiya, the power to fulfill or achieve desires and wishes. Seventh, ishtava, the power and ability to create anything. And eighth, vashtava, the power of dominion and control over others and the power to subdue and control natural forces. As there are many great powers, these plus many others can barely be described. The Great Spirit will access them through you, so that these Maha cities can now be employed," said Pema. In the realm of spirit it is obvious that we can see the human's great potential. Like a weaver of spiritual power, the human mind body and spirit can be interwoven within the powers of the elemental. Beauty, grace, strength, adamantine hardness, and robustness constitute bodily perfection. And by samyama on the power of perception and on the essential nature, correlation with the ego sense and purpose of the sense organs, mastery over them is gained. And by samyama, on the power of perception and on the essential nature, correlation with the ego sense and purpose of the sense organs, mastery over them is gained. From that, the body gains the power to move as fast as the mind, the ability to function without the aid of the sense organs, and complete mastery over the primary cause of creation. By recognition of the distinction between sattva, the pure reflective nature, and the higher self, supremacy over all states and forms of existence is gained 
which is omnipotence, as is omniscience. These powers are ours, and some individuals are called to be channels for this truth. Dear Spirit, use us as you wish, so that we may be vehicles for the cities to move through. By non-attachment, even to the cities, the seed of bondage is destroyed, and thus follows Kaivala, which is independence. The yogi should never accept nor smile with pride at the admiration of even the celestial beings, as there is the possibility of getting caught again in the undesirable, said Pema. I nodded and bowed. Is there anything else you wish to teach or share? By samyama on single moments, in sequence, comes discriminative knowledge. Thus the indistinguishable differences between objects that are alike in species, characteristic marks, and positions become distinguishable. The discriminative knowledge that simultaneously comprehends all objects in all conditions is the intuitive knowledge which brings liberation. Pema paused. When the tranquil mind attains purity equal to that of the highest self, there is absoluteness. And so, we can realize that the purpose of all religion was to relink ourselves back to the divine. We are but strands of a giant, universal and cosmic mind. No longer can we allow those to tempt us to lose sight of the path. Our purpose is something different. We are going forward, and we don't need to be distracted anymore. As we progress on the spiritual path, there are many sideshows that tempt us. Whether it be fame, or gain, or trophies or applause, the real purpose that all of us are born for is to rediscover our true nature and connection to God. That is the absoluteness of the highest self Pema spoke of. No longer can we settle for little material things. Our goal is something very high. The goal of our entire world is external peace and external joy. Don't settle for a little peace and a little joy. We are here to go all the way.